everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. We haven't had one of these episodes in a while, but today we're excited to share a cutting room floor episode where we cover what got cut from the sermons. Our most recent sermons have been in Romans 8 and 1 Thessalonians, and in those, one of the main topics has been joy and hope in the midst of lamentable suffering. Nick and Jill will talk through some questions around that and offer some takeaways about how to suffer well. As always, if you have any questions from listening to this episode, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to the Engagement Quit Podcast. I'm Jill Reese, and I'm Nick's content and ministry coordinator. I'm here with Nick, who is our lead pastor. Hello, Nick. Hey, guys. And we're going to be doing a cutting room floor podcast on the topic of suffering. And a cutting room floor podcast means that we're talking about stuff that did not fit into the sermon on Sunday. And there's been a couple of sermons where the topic of suffering, there's more to talk about. And it's just the topic of suffering. So there's always more to talk about with that topic. Um, So in the Romans 8 series and in the first Thessalonians sermons that we've started so far, We've talked about joy and hope in the midst of lamentable suffering. And out of these sermons, I've thought of questions that I've asked in the midst of my own suffering and that I've heard other people ask in the midst of their suffering. The kinds of questions that are uh, such as, I know I am supposed to have joy and suffering, but dot, dot, dot kinds of questions. So we're going to be talking about some of those questions, which can be all consuming and keep us looking inward in our suffering versus looking outward to God and worship and joy and hope. And then we're going to talk about some ways to suffer well in joy and hope. So anything to add to that, Nick, before we get started? No, that sounds great. <clears throat> cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, we're also going to reference a number of scriptures throughout this. And so we'll put this outline or those scriptures in the show notes as well. Yeah. And so this is based on a series we did out of Romans 8 that we started in the COVID series. But in those sermons, I talked about three relatively distinct kinds of suffering and lamentable suffering was the mm-hmm. third sermon. Mm-hmm. So this focuses somewhat on that third sermon, but it, the three are kind of related. So we'll, we'll probably get into that. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say for um, functional reasons, I've told Jill, because she's used to hosting, but I've told her she's supposed to do this one more as a conversation because we're working on her being a speaker. So I told her she's got to talk more. So if you're wondering why I'm making her talk (laughs) and being impolite towards her, that's why. Also, I have a lot of thoughts about suffering and gave Nick four pages of notes on this topic. That's true. (laughs) About my own sermon. That's what what content helpers and research colleagues are supposed to do. So, All right. All right. Let's dive in. Okay, so we're going to start by going through a couple of questions that you might be asking yourself in the midst of your suffering. You might have heard other people that you've walked with who are your friends or family ask. And these questions might actually not have been explicitly expressed. Um, You might not be aware of these questions because they're sort of more of a mindset or a lens through which you might view suffering. And then um, these are it's just these these questions are very common to humanity in suffering. However, um, because suffering turns us inward, you might not feel like other people could understand 
or feel the same way as you because our circumstances might look very different in suffering, but often there's certain questions that attend suffering that are common to all humanity. So we're going to just cover a few of those. I'm sure there's more, but let's run through a few of those starting. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Jill, I, I think it was, it's really mm-hmm. important to emphasize very strongly the difference between a philosophical question and a psychological yeah. question. Mm-hmm. Um, questions where when something happens to you, you answer them differently than you did before, for example, that's not a philosophical question. It's a psychological question. So if, if you were fine mm-hmm. with suffering in the world and then yeah. something happens to you and then all of a sudden you're not fine with it and you're, and you want to change your philosophy on the basis of it, it is possible you were too flippant before, but what is also possible is, is that in your pain, you are thinking psychologically rather than philosophically mm-hmm. and you and you but your mind frames it philosophically so that you feel justified about it because you don't want to feel mm-hmm. like you're just feeling right and yeah and a lot of times the question these questions that we're asking not only do they present themselves in our minds when we do think of them as philosophical questions when they're really psychological questions but oftentimes they don't even present themselves as questions they only present themselves as feelings mm-hmm and sometimes we don't even really know we're asking them. So, and it's because mm-hmm. these are our these are psychological questions, not philosophical questions, for the most part. And that doesn't mean you can't talk about them philosophically. The next podcast we'll record tomorrow is with a PhD um, mm-hmm. philosophy student at UW who goes to High Point, who's going to talk about some of the questions people ask philosophically. But if you're a small group leader or if you're trying to figure these things out for yourself or ministering to others, you need to remember that most of the questions we ask that are formed like intellectual questions are questions of the heart. Mm-hmm. And to, to answer them like they're merely philosophical questions, either for ourselves or for somebody else, is often just the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. And recognizing and, that and actually getting to the heart of it is important. Mm-hmm. I also I want to point out that they're also spiritually the enemy uses these questions to make you feel alone in your suffering. And they're such that no one could respond to you, like either God or someone else. It They're very isolating. And so mm-hmm. identifying that we all deal with these similar questions, even if our circumstances differ is very important right. because you can, you can relate to other people in their suffering, even if you haven't suffered the way that they have. Yeah. Cause yeah. when you're suffering, you're least vigilant about pride because mm-hmm. when you're hurt, it doesn't feel like you should have to worry about pride. You feel like a victim, but <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and victims are never wrong, right? That's how they feel at least. And mm-hmm. so the way temptation works is in, when you're a victim and you're least vigilant about pride, the sins of pride are the easiest to tempt you into. So the prideful position that your suffering is special is easy to get you to believe mm-hmm. though. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world because other than being a human being, perhaps the only more shared thing that there is in human experience is suffering. And there's billions of people in the world. Mm-hmm. So suffering like yours, mostly like yours, exactly like yours is happening constantly all the time with humans everywhere throughout all of time and all of history. Mm-hmm. And the idea that your suffering is in some sense, peculiar or particular is just not true. It's never true. And so it's important to not to, to in suffering, one of the first checks of vigilance is humility mm-hmm. to not focus too much on yourself, to not let it turn you in on yourself. Mm-hmm. 
which is one of the reasons why you'll see with each of these questions, one of the main things Jill's going to be like, and this is, this is what you do is you turn out to God in this way rather than in on yourself in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's cover some of these questions. So there's actually two main ones and then there's some little um, nuances to each of them. But the first one is how could God do this slash why would God do this to me? Um, mm-hmm. On trial here is really God's goodness. And um, I think that, so in implicit in this is the feeling that if, if God is real, so you, I think you hear this question a lot evangelistically, like why is there suffering in the world? Why would God do that? That's, that's also the same question. And the solution people are looking for in that question is hope in the removal of suffering. And the, the, the fact that there is suffering, meaning that God can't be good. Um, however, as we talked about in the sermons on lamentable suffering, we find that God, our hope is actually in the overconquering of suffering and that God is with us and is not leaving us in our suffering. And so um, in this Mm -hmm. question, we need to be really careful to um, note that God is with us and not our enemy and that he's not causing the suffering, but that he's with us in it and that he died for it and that he's gone through the grave, like into the grave (laughs) and rose and conquered over the grave. He didn't remove the suffering and we're called to do the same thing and we will overconquer in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think in another thing that you wrote on this, Jill, you said something about if you feel like you can conclude that God shouldn't behave the way he's behaving, Mm -hmm. you have to be very careful with that because you're putting yourself in the position of God. Yeah. You're acting Mm -hmm. like you're omniscient. You know all the relevant facts and omniscient in the cognitive sense that you can put all the thinking together. And that you're omnibenevolent, that you know what love is better than God does. And that therefore you can make the conclusion that if God is loving and powerful, that this wouldn't happen this way. Mm-hmm. Right. It's Sometimes I think it's, it is rooted in philosophical misunderstandings. Like that omnipotence means that God can literally do anything, even if that thing is logically po- impossible. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's a self-refuting argument because if God could do logically impossible things, then he could be both evil and good at the same time. So the fact, even if you could prove God did mm-hmm. evil, you couldn't then prove that he didn't do good because he can do good and evil at the same time because he can do logically impossible things because he's all-powerful. That can't be mm-hmm. what all-powerful means. All-powerful has to mean he can do th- all things that are logically possible relative to all the other things he's seeking to bring about. So, for example, in the free will defense, I'm not sure the free will defense is true, but when people say, well, if God forced your decisions, you wouldn't be free— And if he wants you to be free, then he can't force all of your decisions, even if he's omnipotent. Because it's not logically possible, by definition, to have a free being who doesn't make decisions. Right? And so, therefore, not forcing you to make all the decisions of your life, because so that you could be free in your choices, even an omnipotent God couldn't make your choices for you. And that's not a shot at his omnipotence. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. sometimes people just misunderstand even just the categories they're talking about. Right. And then they don't figure in all the things that God tells us about, like sin and suffering and how he's out working out redemption or that he never told us we wouldn't suffer, that he did tell us in many cases why we do suffer and how we should mm-hmm. suffer. 
if we take all that kind of stuff into account, we realize that the situation we're dealing with is way more complex than if God is all loving and all powerful, there wouldn't be suffering. It's that mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. I think I think saying that is to believe that you're God and it's an, it, has, it has built into it an enormous amount of pride. But mm-hmm. it, but that feels right when you're hurting and it mm-hmm. feels easy to attack God's goodness. And yeah, I, I think there's hope and comfort in knowing that God suffered in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, like he suffered. Mm -hmm. So it's not just God, like making us suffer (laughs) his little beings. He's, he's suffered with us and for us. Right. Cause you, cause in the notes you wrote here, you wrote here, an unhelpful answer to this is Mm -hmm. God is sovereign. Suck it up. (laughs) And the the thing that's interesting about that is in a couple places in the Bible, the answer is close to that. Like in Job, the end of Job is sort of like that. Right. Like who are right. you in to Job, question what I'm doing? Right. Yeah. Uh, arguably Romans 9 is like that. Yeah. Um, you know, who are you to toss, talk back to God? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Can't he make you for whatever purpose his sovereign will desires? Um, now, Paul doesn't literally say that's what he did in Romans 9, but he's like, look, if even if it's as bad as you think, even if that's the thing, do you think you still would have an accusation of God? And of course, his answer is, of course not. You have no idea what you're talking about. Right. At the same time, though, that is current. That is concurrent with God's other answer, which is the suffering son. That Mm -hmm. if God, in the person of His Son, suffers more than anyone else in the universe, then suffering is necessary. Suffering has a purpose. Suffering exists for a reason. It's not as simple as God just eradicating it. Because mm-hmm. if God could simply eradicate your suffering, then why couldn't he have eradicated the suffering of the son and him, have him not go to the cross? If the cross of the son is necessary, then why shouldn't your suffering be necessary? For for whatever divine reason that we don't yet understand, God allowing suffering and functioning and working through it is God's present means of redemption as displayed in the son, right? So I think those answers together actually begin to make mm-hmm. a complete answer that, that there is a certain, to the extent to which we're arrogant, the answer is, God is sovereign. Suck it up. Like, what are you going to say to God? Like, he can, he does as he pleases, and he understands a, a million times more than you. You have no idea what you're talking about. Which is basically what the end of Job says. You have no idea what you're talking about, right? And then, but then there's the compassionate answer of God in the person of His Son suffers with you, like you're mm-hmm. saying here. And I think that I, I think yeah. that that is the thing that's supposed to touch us and help mm-hmm. us psychologically. So it, there's one thing that humbles us, humbles our pride, mm-hmm. and then in the state of humility, there is the comfort that we're walking mm-hmm. in the way of God Himself, and that mm-hmm. we're the only religion in the world that believes in the suffering God in that literal sense. Mm-hmm. It it reminded me of what you talked about in the AMA with it depends on how someone is asking the question or saying it's, it depends on how Mm -hmm. someone is saying, I can't do it. Right. If they're, Mm -hmm. if it's a theological, I can't do it to suffering or, or in this case, if it's a theological, why is God doing this? I think the response is God is sovereign. He gets to decide (laughs) what, what is best and he has a purpose in it. And then if, if the, why is God doing this to me is emotional and, a lament, then the response is God is with you and Mm -hmm. he suffered too. And let's look at how he suffered. And so I think it depends on how the question is asked or felt. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree with that. I think one illustration for that attack on pride is just in the modern world, most of us have to be really strong experts at something in order to make a living in like mm-hmm. the white collar world. And so like if I would have come to you when you were the communications director doing art and I was like, yo, Jill, can we, you really should have edited it like this in the Adobe software. I, I For the listeners, I know nothing about Adobe software other than art can be made with it. <laughs> and you easily could have been like, oh, Nick, that's so cute that you think that. Because I, I would I would have thought in my mind that <clears throat> what I think is completely obvious, knowing absolutely nothing about the work you do. But you know exactly what's possible and why and why mm-hmm. things are the way they are and all that sort of thing. That's true for me too. People ask me theological questions all the time or biblical studies questions. And I'm just like, oh, sweetie, if you only knew the first thing about this. I mean, the idea that like that's how we feel when we're experts and somebody else isn't mm-hmm. about really basic things, the simple things. Imagine your view of suffering and what that sounds like to God. It's, I mean, if, if you have a right sense of proportion, even if you're suffering pretty terribly, you still probably should laugh. It should cause you to chuckle a little bit that like, oh yeah, I was telling the infinitely complex God who understands every detail of everything that's ever happened or ever will happen, the moral status of suffering the one who gave his son into it to redeem the world. That's breathtakingly foolish. And then realize how certain you were that you were right. Mm-hmm. And realize how, how being angry or being hurt gives a false sense of absolute clarity. Right? Which is the flesh functioning through a survival mechanism. Because when you're hurting or when you're, um, you're feeling insecure, you naturally have to make just really decisive choices when your world may be very confusing. So anger and despair or, or suffering giving you a false sense of clarity so that you'll make a choice and do something might save you from a physical injury or something like that. But it's, it's a really bad way to reason through faith and who God is, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Do you want to move on to the next question? Yeah. Okay. So the first question that we just covered was, why would God do this to me, essentially? Then the second one is focused around, why is this happening to me? So there's some different emphases that I think we can feel in that. Um, First, what could be implied is that I don't deserve this. So why is this happening to me? Because I don't deserve this. And or why is this happening to me and not them? or not some other particular person. Um, and so within that is a comparison of between you and someone else. Um, but also on trial is God's justice. And as opposed how to his goodness he, in the first two. Yeah, as opposed to his goodness. Um, and this is just a big inward distraction in suffering um, because it cons- it consumes you're, you're looking at someone else's life versus your own. You're thinking about, I mean, pride is at play here as well as the last question too. But what we yeah. feel like we deserve versus what someone else seems to deserve based on their actions. Um, this mindset, I've seen this in my own life. Um, this mindset can come from a seeing a perpetrator or someone who has done something wrong or who is like 
categorically, biblically wicked, seeing them seemingly prosper in their ways, in, and probably in worldly ways, but it still seems like they are being blessed or winning or being right, seem, like understood as correct, and you are, other people are seeing you as wrong. Um, so that's some of the like feeling behind that. Yeah, I think we talked about pride in the last one. I think that is the right mm-hmm. one. I think here I'd say maybe the version of pride that is envy is mm, as likely yeah. as anything else where it's easy for you to say, why is this happening to me as opposed to someone else, right? Yeah. I deserve better. They deserve worse, that kind of thing. That mm-hmm. that pride based in a sense of entitlement rooted in comparison can be really strong mm-hmm. in this one. But mm-hmm. I think also there's what you were saying, like, why am I singled out for this? Yeah. You might not even say I'm better than this person or that person, but you might just be like, why me and not anyone else? Mm-hmm. Or why me versus no one? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. that is a, that is a attack on God's, uh, yeah, on God's justice that he is unjust in allowing us or causing us to suffer individually. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, in response to this, um, God's the the theological category of common grace, um, which means that God displays a certain amount of grace and gives gifts to both to any all human all humanity, not just Christians, um, but then also His justice and vindication in a f- His future justice and vindication are really important, not a present ju- justice and vindication. Nick, do you want to talk yeah. about some of those categories? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that. Well, I think that the other category that you tied in here is there. So that there's one that like I'm not being treated fairly, which is mm-hmm. an attack on God's justice. And then there's the other one that's like, yeah, I probably do deserve this, mm-hmm. which is like the belief that like. God doesn't care about you. Why would he care about me? Yeah. So there's the there's the sort of superiority way of looking at this. Hey, I have rights. How dare mm-hmm. you do this to me? And then there's an the inferiority way of doing mm-hmm. this. Like, well, God, I mean, there must be something terribly wrong with me. So the mm-hmm. thing on trial instead of being God's justice is God's love. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, th- I think both of those are like in some ways equally pernicious. And I've seen yeah. them both in the same person almost at the same time. Right. Um, but in yeah. both cases, it's important to recognize that these are psychological objections. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there are philosophical defenses of these things that are perfectly rational, but that are hard to accept when you're hurting. For example, the Bible says that all of us are rebel sinners that deserve to be damned. So anything that you you receive short of that is a miracle. So what's the problem? Right? Or God is ultimately sovereign. In theory, he could ask you to endure anything and yet glorify him, and that would be perfectly reasonable. Or, and so on and so on, right? There's mm-hmm. th- there's nothing that, we, we receive so much less than justice that how could we complain at w- whatever level of suffering that we face, especially when so much of it is self-inflicted among human beings. Mm-hmm. So, but I think in relationship to God's love, I think it is easy to feel like our suffering is evidence of God's abandonment or his dislike of us. And if you're at all in touch with your sin, then you do believe on some level that you are an imminently abandonable person or dislikable person. 
So the idea that God would dislike you or abandon you is a perfectly reasonable notion relative to God's general moral status. Like if, if God is an ultimately moral creature and he is absolutely righteous and he looks at you, the idea he would say, this is a person that ought to be abandoned or this is a person who ought to be disliked is very, 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 very reasonable. It's essentially mm-hmm. reasonable. And so therefore it is knowing that God is also very loving that can lead us to believe in God's love. It's it, it, that's why that's why salvation is, is rooted in grace and mercy, why our assurance isn't rooted in our goodness. Mm-hmm. And people who believe that they're right with God because of their goodness fall under the truth suppressing delusional group of human beings, not the mm-hmm. upright clear thinking group of human beings. Mm-hmm. And to speak to God's love, that that's what you talked about in the ser- the most recent sermons in Romans eight is that God, our hope is that God will not remove his love for us even in the midst of suffering. And he demonstrated that through the cross. And so that's where our hope is. And we can, we need to know that that's God's love demonstrated. That's the ultimate act of love. Um, and that should do something emotionally for us. But I, I mean, I'm still working on that, like feeling the right way about that. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's what truth needs to be to soak into, especially if you feel like there's something wrong with me, or there's something in me that God would not bear with me through my suffering, or that he would give me this to bear instead of his goodness. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, as a side note, um, I've noticed, especially this, like in suffering that's happening over and over, um, or if something feels like it keeps happening to you, um, it might feel like there's something wrong with you, even implicitly, if you have experienced like some sort of trauma or wound that seems to be confirmed over and over. And so there might be some repression there. That's been true for me and for a few other women that I've talked with and mentored. Mm-hmm. So if you're in that situation, that might be a place to explore. Yeah. Cause I mean, if, one of the things to look at is if you look at how the apostles behaved when they were persecuted and they suffered, they rejoiced. Mm-hmm. So it says in the book of Hebrews that there were some people who were being persecuted and they did everything they could not to be released from prison because they wanted to attain a better resurrection. Mm-hmm. In Acts, when John and I think it's Peter get whipped mm-hmm. and humiliated publicly, it says they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy mm-hmm. to suffer for the name. That is the name of Jesus. Um, Paul says about his imprisonments and hardships, he says, um, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Mm-hmm. For our light and momentary sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so so you kind of go through these and you're like, oh, these people saw suffering as sharing in the dignity of the suffering mm-hmm. of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. And so they felt closer to Christ. They felt like they were walking in God's will. They felt like they were doing something worth doing. They felt like they were attaining a resurrection that was better 
because God rewards every act of faith. And the, one of the greatest acts of faith is to either walk into suffering because you're being a faithful witness or to bear suffering well in the name of God to demonstrate his value to all beings. And so if you say, well, that's not how I feel. Okay, well, but that's how you can feel. So if you don't feel that way, there's a reason other than the suffering itself. I think people fall into yeah. the mistake of thinking that however they're feeling about suffering is the intuitive and obvious way everybody should feel when suffering happens to them, which is false. People feel in radically divergent ways mm-hmm. when they suffer. Why is that? Well, because your attitude and your assumptions and your reactions dictate that, not the suffering itself. Mm-hmm. And when you yeah. realize that that was true of the of the early believers, of the biblical believers, you can realize that when your attitude is different, it's actually not your suffering because they suffered probably worse than you. Right. So why does your much, much lower grade of suffering, so to speak, your lower grade suffering discourage you and affect you and hurt you and cause you to react the way it does so much more? And the answer is inside of you. It's not in God and it's not in the suffering. It's in you. And it can't, it could be, it could be harms and hurts that you've experienced like trauma and abuse. And then you have associated God with the mm-hmm. traumatic or the abuser, especially if that person was like your father, or a major authority figure, figure in your life. Or you could argue a major nurturing figure in your life as well. But there's other reasons too, like just arrogance and self-involvement, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, let's transition to talking about suffering well in joy and hope especially out of what you sure. just talked about. And um, so if you are suffering, we'll go, if you're, if you're not suffering, but you're walking with someone who is suffering, we'll cover that later at the end. But if you are currently suffering, um, Nick, you just touched on this a little bit, but the attitude should be that we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. First um, Peter four twelve says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And um, suffering is human and part of the curse as we are on this earth. And so um, yeah, I just no to, I want to point out that verse. Mm-hmm. Don't be surprised is explicitly yeah. what it says. Mm-hmm. And then the phrase so that yes. rejoice mm-hmm. that you participate in the sufferings, the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That relationship mm-hmm. occurs again and again, that we participate mm-hmm. in his sufferings so that we can share in his glory. Mm-hmm. It's a causal yeah. relationship. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead to the next thing. Um, so in that, um, if you have suffered before in the past, or if you're suffering now, um, so you might've suffered in the past and repressed your feelings already. We did talk about that in a previous episode uh, called Becoming Unrepressed. Uh, which is number 166. But um, if if you're currently suffering, don't repress your feelings. You're, all of what we're saying is not, you should just be happy and not feel the negative feelings that you feel. That is not what we're saying. Um, there's grief that attends suffering that should be felt and properly expressed and worked through. Um, but if you already have if you felt like you have repressed feelings, um, one, so I'm going through um, Lori Krieg's journey. Well book right now, Lori Krieg came and spoke at our last sexuality everywhere conference. 
And she's been through a lot in her life, but she has a process for lament. But one thing she says for noticing if you have repressed feelings or you are repressing feelings is if you feel either significantly more or less than a situation warrants. So if you're going through something terrible and feel nothing like that's not a win, that's not good. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you are going through tiny little things and they're blown out of proportion in how you respond that's also a sign that there's something to work through there underneath that. Mm-hmm. I want to so, encourage younger people yeah. about this because I think some people say, yeah, I'm a little emotionally flat, but it's okay because at least I'm not emotionally explosive. Cause mm-hmm. if I was emotionally explosive with the hurts of my past um, and that affected my present that way, people would walk away from me and they would want to be mm-hmm. around me. And my answer to that is, that's partly true, but if you don't have the capacity for deep, meaningful, emotional engagement, if you can't like have fun and rejoice and have a full effluence of emotion, um, that you also can't give people what they need later on. And that has similar problems with it. Mm-hmm. If you can't give people the full range of human emotion, you can't rejoice in, in, in delight in people, whether a spouse or children, um, you could do as much damage or more than being explosive. Mm-hmm. So don't think that just because you've doled everything down, that's mm-hmm. going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. Um, besides the fact at some point you're going to go have to go back and sort this stuff out because it's going to mm-hmm. eat away at you. Mm-hmm. But the flatness itself is nearly as repelling in the long run as explosiveness is in the short run. Yeah. I amen to that. I am in that place. <laughs> and I've, I've actually, so I used to pride myself on not being able to cry. Like I struggle to even cry in normal situations when I should. Mm-hmm. And um, I can see that in my top, in my near preschooler now. And that's one of the things that made me want to go back and, or made me realize I have a lot of work to do because I don't want, this needs to stop here <laughs> with me <laughs> and I need to get there and work through this. And so, yeah, you can pray for us yeah. in that. But um, yeah, I think Dan Allender's dictum that that which isn't transformed is transmitted mm-hmm. is really terrifying, especially for those of us who are parents, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's a real and thing. It's not, bec- it's not that, I mean, some people say that's bull because I would never do to my kids what my parents did to me or what the people who abused me did to me. Mm-hmm. And the answer is that's true, actually. The vast minority of people who are, say, molested or something will go on to molest their children. But the, the harm that was caused, mm-hmm. the trauma itself gets passed mm-hmm. on. So that the trauma of the but the thing that was perpetrated against you, the result, not the cause, right, is in you. And if that doesn't get transformed, whatever that is, gets transmitted. So if it's like an emotional aloofness, or if it's a completely shut down emotions, or if it's deep repression of what you should really feel, that is what you transmit. Mm-hmm. And so that is less morally culpable than transmitting the perpetration. But it's still you're still going to transmit something horrible, mm-hmm. and you don't need to. And you're spiritually and morally responsible to do so as little as you can. Mm-hmm. And you really can do a lot less than maybe you'd think. So I think yeah. it's important to recognize that. It's not, it's not victim blaming. It's 
taking responsibility for your healing, which are two different, very different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So don't repress your feelings. And then with that, lament with God. Um, So I mentioned Lori Creek's Journey Well book, and she has a really helpful process that I'm going through right now myself um, to lament. And you might think that sounds really unauthentic because it's like spelled out what to do. However, um, if you're in this space and you're really suffering, there's a lot of emotions swirling around. It's hard to, it feels very chaotic. And I've found help and comfort in this structure that she lays out. And it's not even, it's, it, there's steps, but there's a lot of freedom within that. So um, we'll post this in the show notes too, but yeah, no, nobody thinks that a basketball game is inauthentic because it has rules right. and structure. It's just mm-hmm. a false dichotomy. And especially when you're trying to work through something that's confused you or eluded mm-hmm. you in the past, some kind of program or structure can be really helpful. In fact, that's that. Well, that's what we do with most of the, especially 20 somethings and early 30 somethings who are kind of like, I have these mental problems. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, but somehow I'm having trouble getting that to come home to my feelings, my internal thought life, my depression, my anxiety. Most of the stuff we have them do is are different kinds of programs where they have to work mm-hmm. through certain things in certain orders. And the ones who do the work and work through it, it's almost a one-to-one correlation that that's who gets better. Mm-hmm. So I think I just yeah. want to commend to you these processes mm-hmm. um, and rituals because they can be ex- exceptionally helpful, especially since psychologically, once we get out of age about seven or eight, we're no longer in the um, a mainly imaginative framework. And the mm-hmm. main way to, to change the working of our minds is repetition which is usually best done in some kind of structure. Mm -hmm. I also want to add to that. I thought I had worked through a lot of painful memories that I've experienced in ways that I've suffered. However, all I had done is thought about them and knew about them (laughs) and I hadn't felt them yet. And there's a big difference Mm -hmm. in that too. And so there's the key word here is lament with God, not just like remembering things, but trying to get to the point of, grieving them and recognizing what has been lost. Um, so just a quick overview of what she recommends. Um, you like getting into a quiet space, um, reading, she says you could like read a Bible passage, just getting your mind into a state of reverie, I think is what, um, Jordan Peterson talks about too. Is that, is that right, Nick? Yeah. In, um, self-authoring that they use that word Yeah, to try to get into a mental state of reverie. Yeah. Um, she says then to pray and ask God what he wants you to lament and what in your life hasn't been grieved. If you wait and nothing comes to your mind for 10 to 20 minutes. So that's a long time to wait. 10 to 20 minutes is actually a long time. But if Yeah, that you, seemed really long. <laughs> I know. So, um, but if nothing comes to mind, then wait for when you do feel triggered which again, is just a response that's out of proportion to the current situation. I actually have found that second one to be more helpful for me because I, I am pretty emotionally repressed. And so I think about things and I don't think of it. I don't think of anything, but if I notice when I'm feeling strong feelings, that's more effective for me to go back and think about what the cause might've been. Um, then she says to write out and like puke it out. So I like this quote. She says, the Psalms are beautiful, but yours doesn't have to be. So your lament does not have to be these, this beautiful poetic expression of like the themes of what you've taken out of your wounds. It can just be like what happened, what you lost. Um, 
how you felt is the most important though. So tell the story and then how it made you feel and what it meant to you. Um, and then if you don't feel anything, that's okay. If you don't feel anything yet, that's okay. Um, one thing that's helped me is to talk with other people about it because often other people will express the appropriate emotion that I don't feel <laughs> yet. And so that helps with feeling the feelings. So that's a brief summary of her lament process. And we'll post that in the notes too. Did you want to add anything to lamenting, Nick? Yeah. I mean, like for example, Psalm 42, three says, my tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Like, so what that would mean is, is like he cried all night like mm-hmm. for numerous nights. And then he wrote a verse about it. So don't mistake the verse for the lament, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he just, he, he wept and wept and wept over the things that mm-hmm. traumatized him, hurt him, like filled his heart with anxiety. And I think that it's important to recognize that. So one of the things you said, I want to make sure people get is you, it's if possible, what, if you can work through something when you get triggered about something, that's great. But if not, you can just like mark it in your mind. Like you behave mm-hmm. in some way that isn't great and you're like, oh gosh, mental note. And then later you you go back and you take yourself through that. That usually will get you back mm-hmm. into the thing that happened, which will then get you into the place where you can go from there to figure out why that, why that was the case and what happened. I think it's also important to recognize my experience with folks in this and with myself is the demon is always deeper than your first two or three realizations. Mm -hmm. Don't think that because you have one realization about why you behaved a certain way that you've sorted it out. Right. Usually that's connected to three others, which are connected to two others, which are connected to another thing, which confirmed another thing. And this, like it takes a while to dig. What I, I often do is I'll, I'll go through one thing and then the next time I have some time to do this, I'll go back to that thing and then go from that thing to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I've had strings of five, six, seven, eight things. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they lead in a circle. Yeah. Sometimes they lead in a line. Mm-hmm. And I've in that process asked God, like prayed through that time and asked what it meant. Cause sometimes I feel stuck in it. And sometimes the answer isn't like, he's not like speaking to me directly, but another thing will come to mind that's significant. And so, I mean, you're lamenting with God and he's with you in that process and, and pray throughout that process too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so closely related is also forgiveness. Often our suffering is done at the hands of other people. And this one is probably always going to be less popular than lamenting. <laughs> but um, I, Lori Krieg also talks about a process for forgiveness that's really ha- helpful um, in which you pray and ask God, again, who, who do I need to forgive? I did this and like four people came to mind. So, oh no. But um, were, were they people that you had already thought you'd forgiven? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like three of them. Yeah. Three of them were. And then one of them was someone I had not thought of needing to forgive because I had thought I shouldn't have been that bothered by that thing, but I was because I still thought of it later. 
Um, yeah, because I think it's I think it's fairly easy for people to go through like they're at like a Christian meeting or something, and it's mm-hmm. about forgiveness, and they're like, "Oh, I forgive so and so," but because they have that, they didn't proceed that with lament. Mm-hmm. They didn't really order their thinking around mm-hmm. and feeling around what that person did and, and where that was in their life. Oh, and they, they really weren't in the headspace to offer forgiveness. It, it was more right. perfunctory act that they did as a reaction rather than a thing that happened in their soul. Right. And I'm not I saying God doesn't accept the perfunctory action if it's given in faith, but right. I, I think that it, it, I think that the lack of forgiveness still clings to your heart Mm-hmm. If you don't forgive it this deeper way. Yeah. And I can tell because how it'll come out for me is someone who reminds me in some way of the person I haven't forgiven will make me really easily angry or will hurt me really easily quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's not because that person that might not be because that person is doing something wrong, but because I haven't forgiven someone and any reminder of them sets me off still emotionally. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, forgiveness is a deeper reading this section in Lori Creek's book helped me realize the, the depth of forgiveness that needs to happen and the process that needs to happen and how it needs to go along with lamenting what happened. Um, so she talks about, yes, you need to lament the thing that happened first that the person did with God. And then um, she talks about making a list of what the person did to you and then how it made you feel. And then, um, it's, and she talks about how it's really important to, to notice or to note how someone has sinned against you. And that's the place I had not gone into yet with these people in my in that came to mind for me. I hadn't actually said this person did this to me and it was sinful that they did that. Um, yeah, I think sometimes I tell people to say what the person took from you. Yeah, that's good. That kind of mm-hmm. thing. Because if you, if you don't, or sometimes I say, you know, what, what were you supposed to get from it? Cause sometimes it's, it's not just mm-hmm. what they, they did the opposite of what they were supposed to do. You were like, I've, I think I've said to people before, this person didn't just harm you in this way. They were supposed to give you this thing, this positive thing. And instead they did the opposite and hurt you in this way. It's not just that they did the negative. It's they withheld the positive and then did the reverse negative, which Mm -hmm. is in some ways twice as bad. Yeah. I've heard you say along those lines, um, that's receiving a wound instead of a blessing. You were supposed to get a blessing and it's not even that you got nothing. It's that you got a wound instead. Yeah. When, like when parents harm children, right? They were, the parents' job isn't just not to harm their children. The parents' job mm-hmm. is to bless their children. Mm-hmm. So if they do something like that, they have given a, 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 a curse or a wound instead of a blessing. It's the, mm-hmm. yeah, which is why it's so um, sacrilegious. It's so, mm-hmm. um, it's so much more, uh, it's, it's so, well, it's so much more wicked. It's so much more, mm-hmm. and therefore it ends up being so much more harmful. Because of the responsibility that that person had. Mm-hmm. Um, so another point that she has is to avoid using only angry words because often anger is a mask for deeper things like hurt. It's easier to feel mm-hmm. angry than sad and hurt. It's yes, more vulnerable. Absolutely. And so to yeah, be anger really gives aware you a rush. of that. Right. And you feel righteous in it yeah. instead of like a, the victim. Right. 
You feel empowered. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, getting Instead of that insecure and weak and broken and mm-hmm. hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not strong enough no. to make it not happen. For example. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then taking it to, and then after you've like gone t- and dove down into those feelings and recognizing what has been done against you to take it to the Lord in that place. And, um, I mean, sometimes we're meant to bring this to the people who have hurt us too. I mean, I mean, forgiveness is a, like, you might need to have a literal conversation that leads to hopefully reconciliation. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, though, if that's not possible and you need to process with other people, um, doing that in a biblical way is important, but she does talk about that as well. So, what is, yeah. um, you wrote in the notes, um, mm-hmm. cathartic versus healing. Oh yeah. What, is, what um, does that mean? So what Nick is referring to is we have some notes about processing your feelings in the right way with the right people. So we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, and what we mean by that is, so what I mean by that is not just authentic for authenticity sake, um, cathartic. And by cathartic versus healing, what I mean is um, it feels very cathartic to just vent to someone about how you're feeling or what someone did to you or what you're going through. Um, It might not even be what someone did to you. It might just be the suffering you're going through. And it might be a situation that has nothing to do with someone hurting you, but um, you might have lost someone or whatever it might be. Um. And there's a way that we can vent our feelings to other people in an unproductive way. And so that doesn't lead to healing. Um, so in that so, category, cathartic versus healing, catharsis is the negative term. Yes. Catharsis is like you say it in a way that just makes you feel better. Right. And it keeps you stuck in how you're feeling versus looking. So it, it might keep you looking inward versus to God. Or it might, like, there's one, in one sense, feeling like you're a victim is, means that you have an excuse to not be all sorts of things and do all sorts of things mm-hmm. if you're a victim. And so in one sense, it's easier to stay a victim than to move towards holiness and victory over your suffering. So, so cathartic um, in this con- context would mean it feels like it's healing, like it makes you yeah. feel better. Right away, yeah. Probably in Versus the moment, it makes you feel being, better. Yeah, so you're not you're not using it in the old Freudian sense of like a realization that allows you to move forward in a way that is authentic. You're saying that it's like it ma- it makes you feel like you're moving forward. Yeah, but you're really just moving in a circle. So whether right. that's playing the victim or speaking self-righteously or holistically condemning another in order to holistically affirm yourself or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And healing is telling the truth and feeling yeah. the truth. Yeah. And becoming more sanctified in through your suffering. Yeah. 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 I think one way to think about this too, if phenomenologically or psychologically is, if you do it cathartically in the sense Jill is speaking of here in the like false healing catharsis, you'll feel kind of energized or mm-hmm. sort of excited. And if you go through the process of lamenting and forgiving 
and processing, you'll feel exhausted. And humbled. <laughs> and humbled, yeah. It's kind of humiliating. Yeah, yeah it's, it feels humiliating and you feel yeah. exhausted. Yep. Like you've exerted this great effort and you've, you maybe you've let something out mm-hmm. and you, you like feel like you feel like pushed the stone out or something, but you don't like catharsis. Like when you give yourself to anger or victimhood or some false cure, it usually makes you feel manic, like kind of like mm-hmm. excited and exhilarated and um, like almost like ravenous. Like mm-hmm. almost like you're hungry to devour something. This mm-hmm. and that feeling is not the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, if you deal with your pain, you're going to feel exhausted and humiliated usually. Mm-hmm. But it'll feel quiet mm-hmm. and peaceful. Honestly, like there's a peace mm-hmm. that does come with it along the way. Um, off of that, it might take a while. So, like you. So you could be saying the same things over and over if you're, especially if you're talking this out with friends and they hear you saying the same things over and over, that could be a sign of bitterness, especially if you're feeling this rush, like Nick was talking about, or it could be like, if, if a wound is like infected, you need to like let out the infection and the pus and it might just take a while to get it out. And so discerning like how you feel and what, your heart and gut intentions are in that process of even if it takes a long time, knowing what your intentions are is really important. And yeah. your and if, you, if you're talking with somebody, you're listening to somebody, if somebody says the same thing a whole bunch of times, it's okay to point that out and say, why do you think you're mm-hmm. doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's last three, three times we've talked about this one event with your dad and then you say it doesn't matter or then you just move on. But your mind keeps circling back to that thing. It Mm -hmm. clearly matters. Not Mm -hmm. just as an event in your past, but as a center point of how you interpret your own self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that leads to picking people to talk to who will tell you the truth or lead you to help lead you to the truth versus trying to fix something. Mm -hmm. And then also who will listen to you and not just tell you what you want to hear. Um, Mm -hmm. So what Nick was just talking about is pointing back to like, why is this happening? That's he's like in that situation, you're not actually telling the person what to do or how to fix it. You're just noting something that seems significant and is leading the person into the right direction. Yeah. Um, I also think that in this process, letting people know how to help you, um, can be helpful to people because often when you're walking alongside someone in suffering, it's some people are really intimidated by that. Some people feel um, all sorts of obligation or guilt of not doing enough or not knowing what to do. Um, So letting people know how to help you is fine. And I've said before to people, even that I need to, sometimes when I reach out to people and say I'm having a hard time, the response is like, oh, I, how can I help you? What can I do? Let's talk. And so the response could even be, I need to be alone for a while, but pray for me in these ways. Or like letting them know, I've had to let people know in those moments, like I do love you and I will let you know how I'm doing. I'm not just trying to like withdraw. Um, I've had some other friends do that as well. 
Um, but anyway, that's just one example of like what you might need in the moment and letting people know that up front so that they don't have to guess and so that you're not disappointed if they don't do what you think you need. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add to like processing your feelings with the right people in the right ways, Nick? Not that I'll add right now. I think that's the main stuff is you want somebody who will faithfully listen and sometimes you got to mm-hmm. tell them what you need, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think also just to tell people, you know, sometimes they don't know what to do. So you can say, right. you know, I'm just going to talk and just like, listen for themes, listen for stuff that I say that doesn't make sense. Listen for stuff I keep repeating. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't even realize I'm doing it, but and sometimes just being a sounding board helps me. Mm-hmm. And that if they realize that, then they, they might stop trying to be psychoanalyze you, you know, right. Which most mm-hmm. people aren't that great at. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, this is last in our notes, but it doesn't mean it's the least important of course. Um, but turning to God in his word when you're suffering is first of all, both a comfort and really necessary for your spiritual nourishment. Um, so we'll post or we'll put these in the show notes, but there's narratives like Ruth and Daniel and Job, the gospels and acts. Those all have moments of suffering, not even moments. Some, some of the whole books are about suffering and mm-hmm. imitating the faith of the people in those books can be really helpful, mm-hmm. especially if your situation is similar. Um, and yeah. then, of course, the Psalms is really good for lamenting in hope. Um, yeah, especially a number of them. And Googling lament Psalms is pretty easy if you yeah. want to get the numbers. Mm-hmm. But there's a good 10 or 12 of them. They're pretty solidly laments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some exhortations for suffering. Um, are There's some in James and 2 Corinthians and 1 Peter 4 through 5. Those are the ones that I thought of that I've gone to myself. Yeah. But if you read the new Testament, especially with this in mind, you'll find them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is everywhere. Um, if you, if you're in a situation where it seems like the wicked prosper and the righteous don't, <laughs> um, Psalm 37 is really good for that. That's one of my favorite Psalms. And um, Isaiah 61 talks about God's vengeance and, um, for his people. And so some of those might be helpful in that mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Psalm 73, the opposite of 37 is also mm-hmm. focused on the, the wicked prospering and God's answer to that. Mm-hmm. And so. then um, Proverbs also has themes of the difference between wisdom, wickedness, and foolishness and the fruit that each of those brings. And so these are less comforting, but it's also empowering mm-hmm. to know that God has set up the world to work in a way that we reap what we sow to us. I mean, yeah. in a, in a good way. <laughs> um, and that, yeah, I think there are of, exceptions I think, to that. But, right. Jill, I think one of the things that's important for people to recognize is that some people think that trauma or things that we have to, I mean, the, the, I, we, I use the word trauma because that's just the word. It means wound right in Greek. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it's getting used more now in psychology, which is trauma is something that creates a wound that stays with you. So if you're working mm-hmm. through something quotes in the air, right? By definition, you're working through a trauma if it's a hurt. Right. And so I think it's important to recognize um, 
that hurt is caused as much in the world by foolishness as by mm-hmm. wickedness. Yeah. And so sometimes when your pain was caused by someone's stupidity or their weakness or their foolishness, the sense of lamenting rage that will rise up in you gets confused mm-hmm. by the fact that you think that they didn't mean it. And they seem like a nice person sometimes. Even. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But a lack of wisdom is a form of human negligence. Mm-hmm. Right. So negligence is this idea where you didn't mean for something to happen, but you should have done what it took to keep it from happening. What you should have done to keep it from happening was reasonable and people could expect you to do that. It was your responsibility to do so and you didn't do it. Therefore, you were negligent and therefore you're liable. Right. That is your blameworthy. Mm-hmm. Similarly, human beings are supposed to learn wisdom and supposed to learn moral truths and supposed to live up to our moral and spiritual capacities. We're, we're supposed to do that. And when people don't and they don't gain wisdom and so then they act foolishly and their foolishness hurts you, they were negligent and hurt you in a liable way, spiritually speaking. And because of that, you should lament it morally just like you would lament wickedness. It was just a more diffuse form of wickedness. They just ignored the fact that they were supposed to grow for decades and then the fruit of it ended up at your door Mm -hmm. and you were harmed by it. And in cases like that, when you're harmed by foolishness rather than just sheer direct wickedness, it needs to be acknowledged and lamented in a very similar way. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people that stay stuck in their pain because the people who hurt them didn't seem wantonly full of vengeance. They just acted really stupidly. Mm -hmm. And that's still inexcusable and unforgivable outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important not to treat that like you shouldn't be upset about it. Mm-hmm. You are upset about it. You should be upset about it. It was a terrible thing. Don't pretend it wasn't and lament it and then forgive mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. it needs to be forgiven because it was blameworthy. If you don't believe it was blameworthy, you won't forgive because you don't think that there is any need to forgive. So, anyway. mm-hmm. so I think that's an important yeah. idea to recognize about foolishness mm-hmm. and um, folly and stupidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we need to wrap this up here. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, let's drop just a few words here about walking with someone faithfully and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, you noticed, you noted that in Job, Job's, Job's friends all the way through ended up saying bad things about God. Mm-hmm. And it's important to recognize that the fundamentalist error seeking purity in walking with someone in suffering is to so stand up for God that you can crush the person who is in pain. And I think the liberal fallacy is to be so focused on the fallacy of an appeal to pity Mm -hmm. that anything can be justified out of pity. And so because you pity the person, anything might be true about God or any accusation can be thrown against God or any falsehood can be justified because it's inhuman to watch somebody suffer and tell them the truth. And so I think that, um, Both of those are fallacies you want to avoid. Mm -hmm. You want to be faithful to the truth of God and you want to be compassionate to the person who's suffering. And those two can be put together Mm -hmm. and we can find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And a good example of this is in John 11, Jesus is weeping with his friends, Mary and Martha. Um, So you can look into that passage Mm -hmm. on your own. Um, It's in John 11. 
yeah, John 11. Um, off of that passage, I think the, like, as someone who has suffered and in, in walking with other people through suffering, presence is the most, is the biggest gift. Knowing that there's someone who will walk with you in it, not always having something to say or needing to say anything, but knowing that like Christ and, or like God through Christ, they're not going to abandon you in that. Um, that's really comforting and you don't have to have the right thing to say all the time. (laughs) So take that pressure Mm -hmm. off yourself. If you're present, that's really huge. Yeah. Um, and then Nick, you had mentioned this and we mentioned it early in the podcast, but noting in the, listen carefully for, um, profession of, if someone is professing something against God or there's a theological profession, or if it's just a lament. If someone is saying something, but there's it's really a, an emotional statement or a psychological statement versus a, um, what did you say, philosophical statement? Um, a profession versus a lament, yeah. Whether they're yeah. professing there's something wrong with God, or whether right. they're lamenting something that they say something about God that they don't really mean literally. Mm-hmm. They mean it as a crying out as a lament. And if you answer that like it's a philosophical question, you'll really hurt them. Yeah. They won't know why because they'll have said it as a statement and technically you can say that back to them. Right. But the reality is is that you'll have hurt them because they were crying out and you answered them like they were saying something philosophical, which they weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so just be yeah, so the example. The that. example of this that I use is when Alexi, my wife, was having her first child, and she her labor was pretty long with Abby, and um, it's now going on seventeen years. And she said at one point during her labor, she said, "I can't do this," mm-hmm. and I said, "Yes, you can." And that didn't seem like she found it very helpful. It made her more tense. And then a while later, she said it. She said it a bunch of times because she was, you know, trying to have a child. And the <laughs> one time she said it, I didn't really answer. She said, I can't do this. And that midwife said, I know. I know. Because she saw it as a lament, right? This woman mm-hmm. is just saying, I don't, I feel like I can't go any further. Mm-hmm. But she's gonna and she has to. And, you know, I get it. And all those things are true. It's true that yeah. she has to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So recognizing the difference, it, but, but if somebody gets to the point where they've turned in on themselves and they're growing in self-righteousness and they're not lamenting faithfully anymore, but they're, they're riding the rush of anger mm-hmm. or self-justification and now they're accusing God. When you recognize that at that point, it's time to say, you're not lamenting, you're professing and you're saying what's false. And I'm not going to affirm that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that yeah. sometimes you have to just do that. You, you, like, what are you, are you just in your, you know, so you're, a, you tell the truth and God's a liar. I get it. Like at some point you've got to push back on that. Mm-hmm. It's good. So. All right. Well, we talked for a long time, but I know we didn't cover everything there is to cover about suffering. So if you guys have more questions, you can email us at podcast at hyperchurch.org. And yeah, there's going to be more sermons on this yeah, the book by Lori mm-hmm. Krieg is Journey Well. Yes, and we'll yeah. link that in the show notes. Yeah, and it's so it's like a workbook. Yeah, and I know that th- that I know that for a lot of you that sounds hokey, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really helpful way to work through emotional issues. 
Mm-hmm. It takes time, but that kind of direction and structure is extremely helpful. So the, some of the people I've seen that have, have grown the most are people working through tools, like structured things like self-authoring, or there's a, there's one in sexual purity connected with Jay Stringer. I'm working with a guy who's working through it, and he's finding the process very helpful. And this is a guy who's very process-oriented, but he still finds this structured process really helpful because he finds what he's working through so exhausting and humiliating mm-hmm. that the structure just keeps him in the game. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's worth it. You guys, I just want, I just want, you know, th- it's worth it to face, deal with and work through your emotional problems. The, Jesus wants to bring about an emotional kind of health. He wants to apply the gospel in a way that not only transforms your mind, but it changes your heart and it works into your soul in a way that makes you everything he, everything you're created to be. And mm-hmm. this work is exhausting and humiliating and it is so much easier to play the victim or be proud and to live in the exhilaration of anger or victimhood or whatever other defense mechanism we feed off of, but it will slowly hurt you and ultimately destroy mm-hmm. you. And you have to let it go and turn towards real healing rather than a false mm-hmm. catharsis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next time. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.